This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Every day, nearly 50 Americans die from legal pain pills. An expert has the details and shares how you can avoid being a statistic. Pain pills that basically every American has, actually on average, one prescription that would last them 30 days in their medicine cabinet right now. Then, ever dream of having a glamorous, high-paying job? As you'll hear, those top jobs aren't all they're cracked up to be. These jobs not only have incredibly high stress, and the hiring outlook for them is not very good, but many of the folks who have them wish they were in something that were easier and not quite as difficult to manage. Those two stories, and much more, are coming your way on this week's edition of InfoTrack. The show gets underway right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Every day, nearly 50 Americans die from taking legal pain pills. InfoTrack's Roy Mackey talks to an expert to get the details and to find out how you can avoid being a statistic. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Lisa Gill. She's the prescription drugs editor at Consumer Reports, and they recently took a look at America's scary pain pill habit. So tell us the scope of this problem of prescription pain medication use in America. We have tracked the use of pain pills over a number of years, and we took a really close look at some of the numbers that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have released recently, and we were alarmed at the scope and the severity of this problem. And so, you know, when we talk about pain pills, we're talking about Vicodin, Percocet, Oxycontin, pain pills that basically every American has, actually on average, one prescription that would last them 30 days in their medicine cabinet right now. Every American adult in the United States, it's about 235 million people. That's how common these drugs are. Wow. And when you combine how common they are with the severity of the problem, and the problem being that about 17,000 people die every year as a result of overuse of these drugs. And I want to remind listeners that that doesn't mean that it's people who are taking them illegitimately. It's people who have actually received a prescription for a legitimate pain. At the same time, 500,000 people every year get admitted to the ER because they have overdosed or overused these drugs. In many cases, they're using them in combination by accident, or they also may be using them with alcohol. Or they just have taken too much. And all three of those things can cause really intense respiratory depression. And actually, this is why you know people that are unresponsive and really can't breathe. So that's why they go to the emergency room. The amount of prescriptions for these drugs have absolutely skyrocketed over the last decade. I think it's about 300% increase. And there's no sign that this is getting any better. In fact, the most common prescription in the United States is Vicodin. Vicodin is hydrocodone and acetaminophen combined. That's more commonly prescribed than, say, a cholesterol drug? Oh, absolutely. Actually, by a long shot. In fact, the next most commonly prescribed drug is a cholesterol drug. But Vicodin, the generic version of Vicodin, is the number one drug by far, and it's been that way for a number of years. And this problem is not confined, though, to just prescription drugs. There are over-the-counter drugs that are also a component here, right? Right. We also start taking a closer look at acetaminophen. Most people know acetaminophen as Tylenol. Tylenol is just the 
brand name version of the active ingredient called acetaminophen. Acetaminophen is in about 600 products that you can find over the counter. So you can buy it just on a regular pharmacy shelf without a prescription and also in prescription products. So it's really pervasive. The problem with acetaminophen is that it's very safe up until a certain limit. And in fact, it's probably one of the safest pain relievers at low doses. But as you start to get around 4,000 milligrams, which is kind of the magic number, you start to see problems. And it turns out that just over that amount, particularly if you're a heavy drinker, over that amount can get you into trouble. And acetaminophen is unfortunately the leading cause of liver failure in this country. So this was the other half of the safety story that we took on because there's also no signs that this is abating. You mentioned overdoses a few minutes ago, and I think that when most people hear that, they think about hardcore drug abusers or maybe suicides, but is that generally the case for most overdoses? No. So in regards to opioids, you know, like Percocet, Vicodin, and Oxycontin, more than half of the people who wind up in the emergency rooms are people that have a single doctor written a single prescription, presumably for a legitimate source of pain. And the other 40% we may not have a good handle on. Of course, there is some misuse. There's a lot of what's called diversion in this category. So a lot of people get pain pills out of their parents' cabinets uh, or they sell them on the street or buy them on the street. So that does happen. And actually, probably one reason it happens is because everybody has them (laughs) in their medicine cabinets. But in many cases, it really is people who appear to be well-intentioned and who had legitimate prescriptions. And when you say people have these in their medicine cabinets, are these left over from previous uses? They are. You know, it seems that a prescription for Percocet can be written for anything. It could be a toothache, a backache, you know, a knee pain. I mean, it's all sorts of things. And they come from really a lot of sources. And trying to work with doctors and nurse practitioners and other prescribers to dial back you know, how often they write prescriptions for these drugs is a pretty important thing for us to do. So I'm assuming your advice is not keep those around. How right. do people get rid of them? There's a couple of ways. For drugs like this that we're talking about, like Percocet, Vicodin, the best thing that you can do is actually take it back to the pharmacy. In almost all cases, pharmacies are happy to take back unused medications. I think it's part of their business, and they should. If they refuse... You could try another pharmacy. You could also, there are national take-back days. They happen about twice a year, and I wouldn't be surprised if they start to happen more often now. But you can often go to a, you know, a fire department or a local sheriff department and drop off unused medications there. Now, I will tell you, the Food and Drug Administration recommends a lot of things for disposing of medications. For regular ones, like you know, if you have expired Tylenol, for example, they recommend that you empty it out of the bottle, presuming you want to throw it away, empty it out of the bottle and mix it with cat litter or coffee grinds or sawdust and you throw it out. But they have a list and it's a very short list of drugs that are very dangerous if a child were to get a hold of them. And that includes drugs like Vicodin and Percocet because these drugs could kill a small child if they were just to grab a couple pills out of the trash. They recommend flushing them. And we've followed that advice. It's not the greatest advice, but it's always definitely better to take them back to the pharmacy. Our guest on InfoTrack is Lisa Gill. She's the prescription drugs editor at Consumer Reports Magazine. We're discussing deadly pain pills from their report, America's Scary Pain Pill Habit. Lisa, in your report, you mentioned a number of non-drug measures that can be used to deal with pain. Can you just give us a few examples of those approaches? Absolutely. You know, back pain is probably one of the most common reasons that people go to their doctor. You know, they have pain in their lower back. It's extremely common. We've done some surveys asking regular people, you know, what works for back pain. For certain kinds of back pain, things like physical therapy, certain kinds of stretching, even, you know, hands-on therapies, 
such as chiropractic care or even massage therapy seems to be extremely beneficial. What we've seen in our surveys is that people rate those modalities or those treatments higher, higher levels of satisfaction than if they take an opioid medication like Percocet, for example. So I think it comes down to asking your doctor as he or she is about ready to write a prescription, you know, hey, is there anything else I can do besides taking Vicodin? And, you know, really, how long am I supposed to take that anyway? That's not necessarily a path for everyone to healing and wellness. So it really boils down to you having a very open an honest conversation with the doctor about what their intention is in writing those prescriptions. I'll give you another you know, example for headaches. A lot of people, believe it or not, who have migraine headaches wind up with prescriptions for these drugs. And in the case of a lot of migraines, there's two different kinds of medications that are very proven, particularly a group of drugs called tryptans, to treat migraine headaches. And tryptans include one of the drugs called Imatrex, very common you know, migraine medication. That drug is going to work far better than a Percocet or a Vicodin. We can see that from the studies, and we are very active in recommending that you do not take opioids for migraine headaches. Joint pain and even sore muscles are the same thing. You know, With joint pain, there can be a lot of sources of it, but it's always worth trying low-impact exercises, walking, gentle yoga, stretching, trying that for as long as you possibly can before you turn to particularly some of the more powerful pain medications. It sounds like, and maybe this is a, a false assumption, but it sounds like doctors are just prescribing these pain medications far more than they did, say, 10 years ago. Why is that? Well, there's a couple of things. I think they're seeing more patients, first of all, so they have a greater volume in their offices. I think the other thing is they are well-intentioned and they're trying to help people in pain. And that's really one of the key issues. I also think it could be that there's a lot of marketing and advertising and promotion that goes on, and that also could influence some of the doctors' prescribing habits. I also think we have a very casual attitude and casual approach toward these medications, and we may not really have fully realized how significant the impact can be. I think that's really what we're seeing now over the last couple of years. Lisa, how has the federal government, the Food and Drug Administration, responded to this? Do they recognize it's a problem? They absolutely do, and they have been active in trying to help dial it back. They're in a very difficult position. They are a regulatory agency that is trying to regulate products that are on the market. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have a different goal, and that's really trying to improve sort of the national wellness of the country. So the FDA has taken some measures, and they've done some very good things. At the same time, we have criticized them for approving new opioid medications to put on the market. They are in a difficult spot, and we really do fully acknowledge that, but we also are asking them to do a couple things. We would love to see stronger requirements for the evidence that shows these drugs are effective as the means to approve the drugs. The other thing that we would love to see, and we think is critical to see, is that all prescribers are required to have some kind of education about prescribing opioids. Right now, the FDA requires the manufacturers to provide that education, but they do not require the doctors or anyone who prescribes to take it or to read the materials. Lisa Gill, the Prescription Drugs Editor at Consumer Reports Magazine. Are there any online resources that you recommend for people? Actually, and not to plug ourselves, but at ConsumerReports.org, all this information is available for free. Well, thank you very much for joining us on InfoTrack today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. Next, if you're dazzled by dreams of a high-paying, glamorous job, don't make a move till you hear our interview. Coming up. Stick around. There's more InfoTrack straight ahead.